Hey everybody, uh, I hope you're hanging in there okay and you don't feel like you're fraying around the edges too much. In the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at what are known as some of the Christian virtues. We, we've looked at faith and hope and, and this week we're shining the spotlight on love. Uh, I'm going to be thinking about that in a little bit of detail. But if somebody were to ask you, why do you exist? Admittedly, not a very common question thrown out there by people. And I mean, why do you exist in the sense of what's your purpose in life? Not so much the, why do you take up space on this planet, you good for nothing. So I mean it in the positive sense. Why do you, why do you exist? I wonder what you would instinctively say to that question. We could poise it in a slightly more churchy way, if you like, and say, what kind of people as a, as a community of Jesus followers do we want to become? Should we, should we be producing? How do we know if we're on track or not? Now, of course, they are, they are slightly leading questions in the way that I've pitched them to you. And you might be like the, the donkey in Shrek going, oh, pick me, pick me. Is the answer love, John? But park, park that for a moment, because naturally enough, the writers of this, this chunky book, the Bible, they've got a fair amount to say about this subject, about the purpose of life. But as you know, there, there are lots of different authors in the Bible. It's, it's pretty old as far as books go. And sometimes it can be a bit tricky to, to navigate, to work out exactly what is being said. So I've pulled together just a few one-liners to see if we can bring a bit of clarity to that whole purpose question. Let's start with Jesus. Somebody once asked Jesus one time how to, to live a good life. What does a good life look like? And his response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbours yourself. When he was telling his closest followers, his closest friends how to live, he put it like this. A new command I give you, love one another. When he told them what their, what their signature characteristic, what their branding should be, what they should be known for, he said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, one of those disciples, a guy named John, much later wrote this, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And because he, I think he probably suspected that we don't always latch onto these things too quickly, he sort of writes it in reverse, he says it backwards, whoever does not love God doesn't know God, because God is love. Another mate of Jesus's, a guy called Peter, who apparently saw things a little differently to John. He wrote stuff like this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Then, then you've got Paul. Paul, who writes significant chunks of the New Testament, who became a Jesus follower after Jesus' resurrection, a fair bit later than some of the other disciples. Apparently, he didn't get the memo because he writes things like, make love your aim. The goal of our instruction is love. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So if you had to give the Bible's answer to the question, what's the meaning of life in one single word? What would that one word be? I think you've probably got the message. Life is about love. It ain't rocket science. But it, it, it's not just a biblical obsession. 
It fires songs, movies, literature, art, perhaps more than any other subject out there. Yesterday, I, I took a funeral for a, a lovely local family. Uh, the, the guy who had passed away was a, was a fun-loving man, um, a paramedic. He died at the relatively young age of 54 due to COVID. And at his funeral, his wife and his kids wanted a particular poem read that was entitled, Not How Did He Die? And the poem went like this, I'll read it to you. Not how did he die, but how did he live? Not what did he gain, but what did he give? These are the units to measure the worth of a man as a man, regardless of birth. Not what was his church or what was his creed, but had he befriended those really in need? Not what was his station, but had he a heart? How did he play in his God-given part? Was he ever ready with words of good cheer to bring back a smile, to banish a tear? Not how did the formal obituary run, but how many grieved when his life's work was done. Now it was called, Not How Did He Die? But you could easily entitle that poem, How Did He Love? Because essentially that is what it's talking about. The gauge of a life well lived is love. Life existence is about love. And if that's the case, we could do a whole lot worse than spend a bit of time marinating our souls in 1 Corinthians 13, sometimes known as the love chapter. I suspect it's a passage that's been read at more weddings than any other passage um, at all. And to be honest with you, that's tended to colour the way that we receive it. And it's probably just worth pulling ourselves back a little bit and clocking what's really going on, what's happening in Corinth in this church in Corinth, because putting it bluntly, it's a bit of a mess. If you go to the chapter before, chapter 12, it's all about conflict and people showing off and being arrogant and proud, and there's unresolved fighting and quarreling all going on in the church. And then chapter 14, the one after this passage we looked at, it's precisely about that same stuff again, all that mess. And in the middle is chapter 13. And it, it's not like Paul thought to himself, you know what, mm, I should really write something that Christians could use at their wedding ceremonies in West Wickham someday. So I'll just wedge it right in there. This is not a wedding passage. In fact, probably nobody needs these words less than a couple getting married on their wedding day. This is written to messy, difficult people who are surrounded by messy, difficult people. And they've created a messy, difficult, chaotic, possibly unpleasant sort of church. And everybody has been following what we all have a tendency to do when we're under strain and things are going a bit sideways. They've gone the way of self and ego and resentment and bitterness and envy. And comparison has crept in and self-seeking. And that is what prompts, that's what drives Paul to write these amazing words. And I'm going to read some of those first, first few verses again, but I'm not going to do it from the, the passage that we had read just earlier. I'm going to read them from the message. It doesn't have quite the same poetic ring as the, as the one we just heard, but I think it does have a little bit more bite for our modern ears, our modern sensibilities, and helps us recognise that, man, this, this thing called love, it is hard. It is hard. So this is from the message. 
If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the state to be burned as a martyr, but don't love, I've gone nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares for more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Gulp. Double gulp, in fact. It doesn't matter how much I know. It doesn't matter how much I have. As John Altberg puts it, everything minus love is nothing. Or to reverse that, love plus nothing is everything. That is essentially Paul's summary thought of those opening lines. And then he goes on to describe in great detail love, what it looks like from all sorts of different angles, but most importantly, what it does. Because contrary to a lot of popular thought, love is much less a feeling and a whole lot more an active doing, getting your hands dirty sort of word. And if this thing, this thing called love, really is so critical to a good life, to the purpose of life, and to the life of faith, we could do worse than try and learn some of these words so that they inhabit our thoughts. Just think about it, when you're stuck in that, that socially distant supermarket queue, you don't need to get bored or scroll down through your, your social feeds. You can think on these penetrating thoughts about love. View it as taking a booster shot from love, aiming to make love your primary aim in life, your goal in life. Because, boy, as much as our world loves to talk about love, it feels like there are plenty of places right now where the world needs reminders about what, God love, what God's love looks like, what actually is the real nature of God's love, whether it's events around George Floyd or Dominic Cummings. Responses so, from so many different quarters, from all different perspectives, they just don't appear to wield that radical nature of love that Paul is talking about here. But don't forget, it is into mess in which he writes. That is where love has its most powerful impact. But, don't keep it at that level. Oh, I thought I pressed stop. Let me just check. Hold on. <laughs> Never pretended to be slick, so I'll just carry on. I was coming in with a, with a but, but... Don't keep it at that level, at the theoretical, the politics over there sort of level, one step removed from your daily routines and existence in life. Because this isn't about storing away a few pleasant memory verses or even wishing that the world was a slightly more loving place. Love is the doing word. So you could take 
each of Paul's little descriptions, one at a time, and camp out on them for a day or even a week at a time, and look and think about what does it mean to put this into practice? Love is patient. And go through your day asking God, okay, Lord, help me to be patient when my kids once again resist my latest plan for a bit of homeschooling. Or what does it mean to be patient when your neighbor gets up at 7.30 a.m. and starts giving the old hammer drill out to continue his latest DIY project? And then on the next day, love is kind. And keep returning to that thought during the day. How do I express kindness in this situation? Because like all the Christian virtues, they require practice. They are like muscles that need exercising if they are to grow. It's wonderfully simple. You don't need money, title and education. None of that stuff matters. The possibility to love lies before us all. But here is what is critical in this venture. If it becomes about self-improvement, making myself more loving, there was probably a tendency or a slide towards one of two things. The first is that either we'll get disillusioned because whilst it's really simple on the surface, loving like this is actually really hard. It's costly and most of us don't have the resources to always be forgiving or to not lose our cool or not hanker after something that somebody else has. And so the one risk is that we just become a bit deflated, a bit defeated by the task because it's just too much. The other extreme or the other tendency perhaps is towards self-righteousness. It probably would rarely express itself like this, but ooh, I'm becoming a super loving person. Like I said, it, it, it's not likely to express itself like that, but we all probably instinctively smell or sense when there is the air of self-righteousness about. You see it, again, particularly in our social media feeds, when people are slammed really quickly and often in quite a vitriolic way when there's been somebody who stepped over a, a, over a precious line or breached a clear guideline. To avoid those two extremes, those two traps, we need help. We need help to dwell in the love of the one who is love, the one on whom Paul builds this description of love. We love because he first loved us, and we need the empowering, loving presence of Jesus if we have any hope of loving like he did. Hopefully it hasn't completely escaped your attention, but this Sunday is actually Pentecost Sunday when we remember the promise of God's spirit being made available to everyone, even all the messed up people. And, and we often turn to Acts 2 for our, for our cues about Pentecost. But one of Jesus's closest friends, John, he provides a slightly different angle on the whole Pentecost thing and Christ's spirit. John, who was called the beloved disciple, the one who is so loved by Jesus that in his letters, he talks about love perhaps more than anyone else. And I wonder, just perhaps as a bit of an act of the imagination, I wonder how many times Jesus said to his friend, John, I love you. Hey, John, you're my friend. It makes me happy to see you. I love you. 
And I wonder how John responded to that. Did he ever look away? Did he ever get a bit embarrassed, feel a bit squirmish about it? Because it's a strange thing. It can be hard for us to just sit and receive love. But John himself deliberately records, for us all, he records the moment when Jesus says, he'll be physically leaving them, socially distancing himself. But he promises that he will send his spirit. He will not leave them as orphans, one without a parent. But he will be with them. He will be in them. Not socially distanced, but more socially close than anyone could ever be. And then at the end of his little account of of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, John describes the risen Jesus breathing on his disciples. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And it's a deliberate echo of the creation story right at the beginning of the Bible, when God breathes his breath of life into humanity. God's breath of love. May that breath fill you today and enable you to practice the best thing in the world. Love. God bless.